0: Hey guys, welcome to the Hero Academy podcast—the place where you can celebrate and highlight our frontline heroes. People such as nurses, firemen, EMS, police officers, and military are all heroes without capes. I don't care about politics; only positivity and purpose. I only care about those that have chosen to serve our society. I believe in collaboration over competition. Here, you'll learn the secrets and strategies that let ordinary people become extraordinary inside of their purpose. Sometimes we'll throw in some simple side hustles that everyday regular people are doing, things that you could do to make some extra money, especially if you're starting to think about retirement and what's next. Inside this podcast, each week you'll learn from people like you that work working full-time but still found the time to create a course, grow a big team, create a coaching program, a large audience, or a profitable side hustle. The steps they took, their backstories, and how they overcame their burnout that they were facing. The perfect blend of mindset and techniques, carpe diem, now let's get your dream lit for your freedom. I'm your host and coach, Super Dave. Let's go. So I would like to introduce my guest this week, Lindsay Long. Uh, We don't have to say the full name, right? Yes. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, this is Lindsay Long. And um, I just want to thank you for popping on. I got really excited about having a longer conversation with you because uh, you are a speaker, a retired law enforcement, and we're going to talk about all those things. So if you could just take a few minutes to introduce yourself to the audience.
1: All right. Um, First, I'd like to say thanks for having me on. I do appreciate it. I always enjoy doing different podcast interviews. And um, again, I'm Lindsay McCall Long. I am a 17-year veteran of law enforcement. I currently live in Arizona, and I retired uh, from Tempe PD in Tempe, Arizona, which is where Arizona State University is. Um, I started my career in Georgia at Gwinnett County Police Department. I was there for about Four and a half years, worked mostly patrol, did a little bit of undercover in narcotics and vice, but patrol was always where my heart was. And when I left there and transferred to the first department I worked for in Arizona, I was in patrol. And in 08, I moved to the desert. Some people were like, man, you left the humidity for, for the dry heat. And I worked at a small department called Paradise Valley. And I mean, when I say small, it was much smaller than Gwinnett. Gwinnett was probably like 650 people and Paradise Valley was like 28. And that was top and bottom, you know? Um, But it was a nice, I call it, it was a nice segue department into being in a new state and a new environment. And then after about a year and a half, I transferred to Tempe PD. And that's where I did the rest of my time into my retirement.
0: So is that four departments I heard?
1: It's three, three, Gwinnett County, Paradise Valley, and then Tempe.
0: And how many academies did you have to do?
1: One, because really, yes, when I moved to Arizona, I made sure I was not going to have to do academy over because I was like, I, I put in my time. I'm not doing that again. Although I was only 28 when I transferred, so I could have done it. I just didn't want to. Um, and I basically, I came out to Arizona. I didn't hit the street right away. I had to study for their post exam and I just did a post equivalency exam to get certified here in the state of Arizona.
0: Wow. I didn't know that some states will allow you to not do their academy. Um, in New York, everyone has to go through their, whatever department it is, everyone has to go through their academy.
1: That's what I've heard. That's what I've
0: heard. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, just, uh, I wasn't for it. <laughs> so um, when you went to Arizona and you were in that really small department, um, how was that working in such a small department? Because basically everyone knows everyone's business, right?
1: To a certain extent, I what I really what I really liked about Paradise Valley, which I felt like was very unique at the time, was when I got hired, they were only hiring out of state laterals because it's it's a small area and it's very affluent over there so some of the residents aren't even in the town 24 7 they have homes in other places but uh, i think paradise valley is about 16 square miles like it's small enough to where it's kind of sandwiched in between scottsdale arizona and phoenix a part of phoenix arizona and I ran into a Scottsdale officer one day. It was like I didn't even know Paradise Valley had a police department. I thought <laughs> I thought we covered Paradise Valley, and so it was different. And, but it was nice working with officers from all over the country, though. And, and when I say all over the country, I mean from Alaska to um, to New York and everywhere in between. So it you know we had somebody from Memphis PD. We had a couple of officers from two different departments outside of Chicago. And so and we had Pennsylvania. So we had a very wide spread and it just added a little unique culture and flavor to the department because everybody was from somewhere else. Um, I just
0: want to uh, point out to anybody that's listening, that's in a department that they don't like, they could move to Arizona <laughs> or another state that has a lateral transfer I know um, California also accepts lateral transfers. Some parts of Florida accepts lateral transfers. Mm -hmm. So if you're in a state like Chicago, let's say, or a city like Chicago uh, that's just happened to pop into mind or New New York City and you want to get out of there, but you still want to continue policing, uh, you might want to consider a lateral transfer. That's um, something that a lot of people don't consider. That's pretty cool.
1: Well, I think, I think we feel like we're married to our departments and I I definitely understand the the loyalty aspect. I do understand that. And it was hard for me to leave Gwinnett. Um, I just needed something different in my life at the time. And at the there was nothing wrong with the department. The department didn't do anything to me. It was just, I needed something different personally. And I, but you know, at the same time, because we feel like we're married to that department and sometimes people people think they are more valuable than they really are at their department, almost like if they leave, like the whole thing is gonna fall apart. And I was like, I, I know our departments love us to a certain extent, but we're a cog in the wheel. You know, As yes. soon as you leave, they'll put somebody else in that place. I mean, and that just happens everywhere. But if if your agency is if that's not the right fit for you, find somewhere that is, but at the same time, Don't just go from department to department. And I know that sounds crazy coming from me because I was at three, but personally, I was looking for something different when I left Gwinnett County. Paradise Valley was a nice starter department for me, um, being new to the state, but it just wasn't busy enough for me. And then when I went to Tempe, Tempe was somewhere in the middle. It wasn't as busy as Gwinnett but it had a little bit of everything and it, it definitely had enough to keep me busy and pique my interest as far as um, special units and different assignments and things that you can get into. So it's, I, I don't like to encourage people to leave their departments, but really think about why you're unhappy and why you may want to leave because it could be you. And I mean, that's what I found. There was nothing wrong with Gwinnett County. It was me. I had to change my mindset because you can go to another department you can always bring you, you can, you can, that's, and that's exactly what I tell people. You can get another relationship. You can go to another unit, but you take you with you. So if you're unhappy here, you're going to be unhappy there. So whatever is causing your unhappiness, you have to start working on that now, because once the newness of that new agency wears off, you're going to be right back to where you were. And what are you going to do? Go to a different agency. That's, that's not how that works at some point. You really have to do some self-reflection.
0: So, uh, in, all of those units. What was your favorite? I know you said you like really like patrol, but where was your favorite unit that you worked in?
1: For me, it was patrol. Like I can't like I like I said, um, vice and, and narcotics was interesting. Like it was some of the work was exciting. I just didn't have the personality for it because I really like patrol. I really like engaging with people. I like the, you know, we get the problem solved here and then we go on to something else. Um, narcotics for me was, was too much like detectives and I hate, I hate being attached to a desk and I hated having a phone. And even um, at, when I was working at Tempe, I was on light duty after I came back from having, after I came back off of maternity leave, after I had my first child, cause I had some complications after birth. And they put me down in property, and I thought I was going to die. And I'm like, <laughs> "I have a desk. I have an extension. This is a lot. I'm inside. like I love being outside. I need to feel the sun on my skin. I like going, you know, from call to call. So patrol to me, like patrol is the heart of the whole department. It's the backbone of the department. and if um, if anybody tries to act like there's something wrong with patrol. I don't like when people do that, when they kind of turn their nose at patrol, especially when they go to a special unit, because that's where you started. And some of the skills that you're now using in your current um, unit, specialty unit, you picked up in patrol, you hone that in patrol. And if if nothing else goes away in the department, I mean, you know, patrol will always be there. Sometimes we have to cut certain um, positions or we have to cut back on certain units. Patrol will always be there. And all the things you do in those special units, you can essentially do put from patrol if time and, you know, manpower allows it. So I, I was, it's, it's the best thing going to me.
0: I was in patrol for 17 years. And um, for half the time, I was like working midnights and then the other half of the time I was in the community unit and uh you know, I really, really love patrol, but I think I stayed in that community unit for a little too long. I tell everyone I stayed there for way too long. I should have left. I should have left a little sooner. Um my once my sergeant got made lieutenant and my partner left and got promoted to sergeant and I looked around and I was like one of the last few people remaining in that <laughs> unit. I was like, all right, I guess it's time for me to move on to
1: yeah. When the energy's different, you know, sometimes you can have a really good rhythm going. And once that energy changes, it's like, oh, OK, maybe maybe it's time for me to go go do something.
0: Else. Yeah. Teams change. Bosses change. Mm-hmm. And um, and yeah, the whole dynamic changes. What is it that you speak about when you go on stages?
1: So in 2018, my partner and I, we were involved in a shooting. We were serving an order of protection um, stemming from domestic violence. And when we went to make contact with the suspect boyfriend, he opened fire on us. My partner was shot once. I was shot three times. Oh, and God. I, I, I do talk about the shooting, um, but I also like to explore w- with myself and also with other people. I kind of want them to think about this. Like what was going on in your life prior to that critical incident? Rather, it was, um, you know, a a big event or it was like a cumulative stress type of situation. Rather, it was at home or at work. And because I think that plays a lot into how we how we operate once that big thing hits us, because a lot of us are already dealing with life before a shooting, a stabbing, you know, a car accident or whatever happens, losing a partner in the line of duty. We're already dealing with life. And so, you know, I I really like sharing my story about kind of where I was mentally prior to my shooting, because I dealt with postpartum depression the year before I got diagnosed the year before my shooting happened. And I think learning to accept the diagnosis and also heal from it, I learned a lot. And that actually helped me with my emotions and becoming more stable and being more willing to share after my shooting happens. Um, I, I talk about the family aspect as well. I, my husband is not in law enforcement, he's in retail. And we just talk about, you know, like how it changed our communication, how the postpartum diagnosis changed our communication, how we became more in with each other. So it helped him to really be able to keep an eye on me once the shooting happened and I started going through, you know, the panic attacks and the depression and um, the just overall anxiety. And we have young kids, you know, when my shooting happened, my daughter was 22 months and my son was four talking about the kids, because I don't think we give kids enough credit when it comes to what we're going through. We tend to shut them out of our suffering at times. You know, we'll share all the happy stuff with them, but when we're really going through it, I don't think we are. As parents, sometimes we don't show our kids the right emotions. Sometimes because our kids mimic what we do, and it was definitely a learning experience. And just you know, I was pulling on my heartstrings to watch my four-year-old and eventually five-year-old, well, my son, had turned five when I was heading back to work on light duty, deal with anxiety and worry over my shooting because now I wasn't gonna be at home with him anymore. I was gonna be going back to work and in his mind, mom went to work, she got injured, that can happen again. And, you know, it's just kind of taking the audience like through our journey and what we've learned and what I'm still learning every day and just letting people know, you know, it's not always perfect. It's not always perfect. Healing is a messy, chaotic, bumpy road just because you find, oh, cool, I'm going to go to a therapist. Everything's going to be solved in a week. No, we we have a lot of undoing that we have to get to because we've seen a lot, we've experienced a lot, we've heard a lot on the job. And so we have a lot of layers to get through. And, you know, I just, I want people to give themselves time to get through those layers and understand that we're human beings and we're not built to see and experience all the things we see and experience in, uh, you know, in a career and, and public
0: safety, the amount of trauma that a first responder experiences and sees, it, I forgot the stat. It's it's so much more than the average person. Uh, I wrote down something that you had mentioned the last time we talked. Identity transitional point. Um, is uh-huh. that something that you talk about? You said you said something about identity, and I said, oh, I got to write that yeah. down.
1: <laughs> so. Identity is interesting. I, I, I kind of talk about that when I get into my retirement. So I'm, I'm medically retired. So I, I was shot in my right forearm. I was shot in my upper left arm. And I was also shot in, the, in my vest, but it was the lower left portion of my back. And um, so I still have some bumps and bruises, if you will. I ended up with hardware in my arm. I am right handed. Lucky me. Um, I often joke you know, life gets serious when you can't wipe your butt properly, you know, because (laughs) I I lost muscle in my hand. So my hand doesn't bend the way it used to, or you're in a cast and you know, things, things get interesting. You learn a lot about yourself when you're injured. Um, But retirement, I think is an interesting thing. And I don't think it's something we take seriously enough when we talk about the transitional piece and the identity Um, even with a straight retirement, even when you know, all right, this is my date. I'm on the countdown. One minute you have a badge and the next you don't, you know? And I, and I think we feel it to a sense of, you don't walk around with that same sense of purpose because it's like, you know what you do, you know what you did for a living. The rest of the people don't, you know, I volunteer at my kid's school and, you know, when I show up for different events or I chair an event, I'm essentially, you know, a PTA mom, so to speak. Nobody knows what I was doing, you know, three years ago before my retirement. So I often took the word identity as a bad thing, meaning I was one of those people who never put the job down. I wore the job 24-7. When I was off of work, you knew. But when I think back on my career, a lot of times people, when I finally told them I was a police officer, not something I was hiding, it's just not something that comes up right away. Wow. I never would have guessed that. You don't, you don't look like a police officer. You don't look like a cop. And, but you have to realize whatever role you have in public safety, rather you do it for five years or you do it for 25 years, that was a part of your daily routine for a very long time. And once you're no longer doing that, you know, it's like, well, who am I? What am I doing? I I think when it really hit me was probably It was probably within the first six months of my medical retirement and I was doing a peer support deployment and I had to fill out um, paperwork for credentials and I had to check the civilian box. I didn't check the sworn box. (laughs) And just that that little thing, I was like, oh, like I, I put the application down and like took a minute because I said I didn't like the way that felt. And so I I said something to my mom about it. And then uh, the week after that, my retirement badge came in the mail. And I was like, thank you, universe. You just, just the hits keep on coming. And I was having a conversation with my mom one day and just out of the blue, she says, you're really having a difficult time with this. And I was like, what? Because It didn't apply to what we were talking about. She says, this retirement thing. And I said, you know, normally I would have tried to fluff it off or, you know, brush past it, but she was right. And I said, I am. I didn't really think this would bother me like this. You know, when people ask me, oh, so what do you do? It's weird to say I'm retired, question mark, you know, and it just it's, it's a weird feeling. But I think the biggest thing you can do in retirement, rather it's a straight retirement or a medical. And even if you just walk away from public safety, for whatever reason, you really have to think and ask yourself, like, what is my passion? What is something I really enjoyed about the job that now I, I can now do outside of the uniform? Because I think that was my biggest hang up is feeling like the only way I could help people the way I was helping was in a uniform. And that's, that's just not the case. You know, um, it took me a minute for my emotions and my reality to get on the same page because I didn't choose the path that I was ripped off of. You know, someone else made a decision and then it snowballed from there. And I liken it to being on a treadmill. You're running at a steady pace on a treadmill and then somebody sneaks up behind you and just pulls that emergency cord. You still have momentum to move forward, but the ground has stopped under you. And Mm. it's, you know, I, my shooting happened five years ago. I've been retired a little over three years now. And, you know, now my reality and my emotions are closer to being more balanced than they were before, but some days they were like this, you know, so it's just, it it takes time. And I think the money piece is great. People love talking about money and retirement, but I don't think we talk enough about the identity and the transitional piece.
0: We definitely don't talk about the identity enough. And that is something that I'm very passionate about. What is it that you're passionate about now? Like, where do you find your purpose?
1: So I was sitting in a, a closing keynote at, two years ago in Oklahoma at the COPS National Conference, and the closing keynote that day was a speaker named Paul Butler. He's from South Carolina, and he does a lot of leadership training. And one of the things he talks about is your, you know, your plan and purpose. When your plan falls apart, you, you need to fall back on your purpose so that you can get your footing and come up with a new plan. And as he's talking, like I was, I was in that space. I was in that lost space for sure, and I felt like I was the only one in the room. And he was talking to me, and I kept, I kept like hitting my husband on the leg. And I'm like, "Oh my goodness!" Like he's in my head. Like this is exactly how I feel right now. And I was like, "I have to meet him." And I went up to my, went up to him afterwards. I introduced myself, gave him a quick spiel, and me and him we talked a little bit later. And he really helped me talk through some things. And that's when I came to realize that. I've always known, probably since I was in high school, that my purpose on this earth is to help people in some way, form, or fashion. But Mr. Butler was able to help me realize that I could help people and not be in uniform. I was still just as useful to our community, um, rather it's citizens or you know the police or public safety community and not be in uniform. So my purpose is definitely to help people. I'm a peer support advocate. I love doing peer support. I love being able to provide a space for firefighters, uh, sheriff's deputies, police officers, EMS, where they can just let loose and talk to somebody who's seen some of the things they've seen. You know, I'm not, I'm not gonna be the person that's gonna tell you, I don't wanna hear it because I don't, I'm not in that world and I don't understand it. And we get that sometimes. Oh, this is too much for me, I can't hear this. Well, that causes us to shut down. I have friends in the military who they've been shut down so many times it just becomes heavy. And so I like providing that place and hooking people up with resources they didn't even know exist, like beyond sitting down and talking to a therapist. You know, there's all these different mental health facilities that we have that do outpatient and inpatient treatments, the cold plunging, EMDR, all of these different things that can help us get back to a happier life, you know, keep our marriages together keep our health together there's a lot of resources we just don't know about and i just i love being able to share that with people
0: how often do you speak now
1: um probably about once a month right now oh that's good
0: Yeah, yeah that's really good
1: yeah You know, I I like to take a little break during the holidays and stuff because, you know, it just gets busy with school things. My kids are both in elementary school now, so it can be hard to travel with younger kids. But I'm very lucky to have the support system that I do. If my husband doesn't come with me, he speaks as well. He speaks with me sometimes. And, um, you know, he's here to hold down the fort or both of our moms are here. My brother is here. One of my college roommates we have a lot of help and i'm very lucky in that way
0: i um went to a tle trauma and law enforcement training by cops uh it was part of our peer support training and it was one of the best classes that i had attended in a long long time the speakers were really phenomenal and i was doing the podcast at the time and I said to myself, I'm going to get every single one of these speakers onto my <laughs> podcast. <laughs> so I have to connect with the guy who runs it. I cannot pronounce his name. Kwabine.
1: It, it Asante.
0: Quab Kwabana Asante. I have to yes. I, I I have to practice saying his first name because <laughs> I have to connect with him and uh see if I can get the speakers onto my show because they're all so good. Every single one has a message that hits in a different way. And uh, I remember being in that class thinking, wow, I need to be one of these speakers because I have a message that hits in a different way. Mm -hmm. And someone's going to be sitting there thinking that, hey, he's talking to me right now. And I know the value of telling your own story is so incredibly powerful because someone connects with that story and it takes different voices. To hear the same message, so sometimes one person may say it, and and you know the person sitting next to you they don't hear it, and then the next speaker comes up and they say the same exact message but slightly different with their own story and their own little twist to it, and you're like, wow, that was really good. (laughs) No, you're one hundred percent right. Yeah, you're like, wait, they just said the same thing. (laughs) Yeah, but it, it just it hits different. Those um, trainings
1: are great. Those trainers are really great. Um, actually, you can check a speaker off the list because I am one of them for the TLEs. My husband and I we do the injured officer um, section of the training. So the first day there was a couple that you probably saw speak in the afternoon. Yeah, Vernon. Then,
0: I had Vernon. I had Vernon on the show.
1: Oh, I love Vernon. I love him. Yeah, yeah, and me too. My husband and I have been lucky enough twice to speak when Vernon was speaking. So we're kind of sandwiched in between his presentation and we did two TLEs for them last year and we're doing two this year. And actually we have one coming up in Jacksonville, Florida on the 29th of January. So I'm, I'm really okay. looking forward to it. It's, it's great. And it's, I felt the same way you did the first time I went to one here in Arizona and I was like, this is phenomenal training. I mean, yes, it it really was really good. Good. so many resources too, and so many people being vulnerable and sharing such amazing stories. Like, some of the stories like I am like hanging on to every word and I don't want them to stop because they're just that good but like you said it's just about it's connecting with people. Yes. You know just just being a person.
0: What's your uh, next project beyond speaking?
1: Um I being a mommy. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, I I take my speaking stuff one, one um, booking at a time, so to speak. But, you know, just I I love speaking and I look forward to doing more of it in this in this coming year. And, you know, there are some organizations that I kind of have on my list that I'm like, oh, I'd love to speak here. I'd love to speak there. But, you know, I've I would love at some point to, you know, start putting out some little videos here and there. And just when we're talking about peer support and mental health, I want to talk about it from a relatable aspect and, you know, cause I'm, I'm all in when it comes to it. And I, again, I want people to know it's not going to be easy. You know, I, I like sharing some of my ups and downs in my journey. And, um, you know, like you said, being a mom, I, I really enjoy that. I get to be home and I get to take my kids to school, I get to pick them up, I do extracurricular, I get to volunteer at the school. You know, it's just, you realize, even though it wasn't my choice to stop working in that way, um, you realize what you're missing, you know? And it wasn't that I wasn't into my family before then, it's just, I definitely have a different appreciation for them, especially after having a moment during the shooting when I thought I wasn't gonna be able to go home to them ever again. And, you know, having literally the life scared out of you, that'll make you change how you deal with your kids and your significant others and the people around you when there could have been a possibility where, you know, we wouldn't have, you know, moments to enjoy each other together. So was
0: your shooting a stolen car?
1: No, actually, uh, we were serving an order. It was
0: domestic. That's right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, We, another officer attempted to serve the order to him earlier in the day, he wasn't answering the door. So my partner had made contact with the victim and she took a report and we were like, Hey, you know, we'll just go to the house and serve the order. She can let us into the house because she has standing, she has rights to the property. And, and we, you know, we've done that before. It wasn't anything we hadn't done before, but I always remind people that your decision-making is only as good as the information you have. And, um, afterwards we found out a lot more about the gentleman and I was like, well, it would be nice to have that information before, but you know, I learned that States don't share information as readily and as easily as they should sometimes. Yep. Yep. And, you know, also when somebody fills out an application for order of protection, um, again, it's the information we're getting. So we're relying on the plaintiff or the victim to give us information about this person because we don't know this person. You know, we need to know everything. Don't lie, but we need to know everything. But you know, it was, we walked in the house, she let us in the house and uh, we made verbal contact with him. And my partner uh, said something to the effect of, you know, him taking his hands out of his pockets and he came out of his right pocket with a six shot revolver and started firing. And up until that point, there was no negative body language. You know, he never said anything to us. But when he got within that, I'd say 12 to 15 feet, if my memory serves me correct, and he just came right out of his pocket and started firing. And my partner got hit first. She got hit in her left arm. And then I got hit in my right arm as I was stepping to the side to draw. And then I turned the run out of the door because he's coming straight at me. And I just didn't have enough space to really hunker down, to brace myself for a hit or anything. And my right hand was out of commission. And that's when I get hit in my upper right arm. And he tried to fire back at my my partner and that bullet went in the door jam. My partner was able to return fire. She shot one time and she was able to hit him. And she hit him wow. in, in like his upper torso area, but he was able to get another shot off on me. And that was the third shot to my back. And because it was over my kidney, it caused me to fall. So my legs went and luckily he ran in the opposite direction because, you know, I, my gun had fallen and I, yeah, thank God he wasn't
0: thinking, thank God he wasn't thinking murder. He was just, he was thinking escape.
1: Yeah. And he had one more bullet left in that revolver and he hopped over in somebody's backyard and he used that last bullet to take his life. So, wow yeah, Yeah. it was just, just an interesting Monday at work, shall I say. (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh, my God.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. I um, I remember going to arrest a sex offender, and um, I think he knew I was coming, and I told the officers in uniform, I'm like, hey, he doesn't have much of a record, and these guys never run. And as soon as we pulled up, he took off running. <laughs> mm,
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: yeah. That one didn't end in a shooting, thank God, but, uh, you know, these things could go bad at any moment.
1: Yeah. And you know, I, you know how sometimes you'll watch like a, even if it's a, a crime show and they're showing videos from traffic stops or anything like that. And they say it was a routine traffic stop. And it's like, well, it's never routine because yes we may go on similar calls throughout the day, like call types, but the call itself is not the same. You know, how many times have you gone to check an alarm and nobody was there and then you check one and either somebody's coming out at you Or like one time back in Georgia, me and my zone partner at the time, we had a guy staring at us from one of the side panel windows at a house. We walked, you know, we up, we were kind of surveying and seeing what's going on. And he looks at me because I was standing behind him and he says, "Uh, do you have your flashlight out? And I said, no, my flashlight's literally in your back. He's like, whose flashlight is that? (laughs) You know, and then, you know, so you can't, you don't ever want to get complacent on things. And yep. even though it was an order of protection service, yes, we've done them, but those can be dangerous because somebody's essentially being put out of their home. You know, you can be losing access to children and, and items and things like that. So you just don't know where that's going to take somebody. So you always have to be careful.
0: So you've worked as a sheriff and as a cop?
1: No, just, the, just the cop. So Gwinnett County, we had both, uh, we, there's a sheriff's office there and there's PD.
0: Mm, Cause over and, here, over here in New York, the sheriffs are the only ones that serve orders of protection
1: in Georgia. Um, that, uh, that's what, uh, some of our deputies would do. And they also went, you know, they would, you know, um, go out on the warrants and stuff like that, you know, when they had like some misdemeanor warrants and things, Mm -hmm. uh, they would go do that. So, and then you learn, you know, as you travel and you talk to other people in other uh, regions of the country, you learn how differently things are done back at Gwinnett. We had a crime scene unit that came out for everything. And then when I get to Tempe, well, first paradise Valley, then Tempe, they're like, Oh, you know, here's your, your fingerprinting kit or your your yeah and I was like for what (laughs) we don't have people who do that (laughs) and they're like no you do it yourself and I was like oh I'm I'm spoiled I didn't realize that we had a DUI unit what do you what do you mean I have to uh, I have to do this DUI that's crazy (laughs) you know so you learn you know we had take-home cards at Gwinnett County also you know and it's just you learn that you know the rest of the country doesn't do it the same No different than medical retirements. I didn't know that medical medical retirements weren't common across the nation. And so uh, it sucks to get shot, I always say. But I'm very glad it happened here in Arizona because I was able to, you know, retire uh, with a medical retirement and I collect a pension. You know, other states, I just would have been unemployed.
0: Yeah, yeah. Some some states really do their cops really dirty. Um, I got about four more minutes so i have okay. five last questions for you
1: gotcha. um,
0: what's your definition of a hero
1: somebody who doesn't take themselves too seriously and is 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 there to help others for the right purpose not because they want people to bow down at their feet and think they're the greatest person ever you know just they're they're there to help and they're going to be really humble about it
0: I know that most public servants don't like the term hero, uh, but it's, it is something that society calls us and, and them, I should say. Um, when stress is at its highest and you're starting to feel like you need to save yourself, how do you save yourself nowadays? How do you show yourself love?
1: Actually, before we, just before we got on here, I was sitting out in my backyard, just letting the sun just shower over me. You know, just kind of putting, just relaxing. I had on some relaxing music. Um, I just sat there quietly and just watched my dogs play as I listened to some, some soothing music and just feel the sun on my skin. Um, Sometimes I'll go for a walk and I I don't think we give ourselves enough time just to be quiet and just be with ourselves because life, life can get hectic. I love my kids and I know they want to be with me 24 seven, but sometimes I need a break and I don't have a problem with telling them that I'm like, Hey, Give me a minute and I because I want to come back and be the best mom I can be for you. But I can't right now if I'm feeling overwhelmed.
0: I know you have a lot going on with uh, raising young kids. Uh, Would you ever consider doing an online coaching program like you being the coach and starting something like that?
1: That's something I've, I've thought about. It's been brought up to me a couple of times in, in the past. You know, I just I feel that I'm still trying to figure out what I'm doing. You know, it's I was like a parent, like you become a new parent and then you're, you find yourself giving advice to another new parent. And it's like, <laughs> what? You just started doing this, you know, so that that is something I would definitely uh, venture out into in, in the future.
0: What's your um, greatest power, your best strength, your best ability? right now?
1: According to my husband, it is my ability to make people feel comfortable. Uh, My husband is a bit of an introvert, so I'm very grateful and I love him to death that he comes and speaks with me sometimes. That's not necessarily his comfort zone, but he says, I like watching people engage with you. There's people gravitate towards you and they just, they want to talk to you. They want to tell you things. And he says, I'll watch you pick somebody out that you can tell just isn't feeling it. And somehow you'll get in a conversation. And next thing I know you're over there, giving them a hug and they're just, they're talking to you. So, um, that's, I'm like, okay, I, you know, I just thought that that was always me. I've always kind of been like that. And he's like, no, he, we just had this conversation about three days ago. And he says, I, I really enjoy that. And that's a gift.
0: That is a gift. And, you led me to a, a question that's like a little bit off script from my last one, so I'm just gonna ask you: When you're speaking and you see someone who's not feeling it, do you speak more to the friendly faces or more to the person who's not feeling it? Like, which one do you gravitate towards more?
1: Overall, I would say both, but yes, I I will kind of zero in on somebody and be like, hmm. That's my project right there. Because <laughs> I I feel like at a, at a wellness training anyway, a, a lot of us go to wellness trainings because we want to be there. Right. Yes. But also sometimes you may hear things, to, you know, your point about the speakers at the TLEs. Sometimes when you hear things, you're like, oh, I didn't know that was going to bring up that emotion or that memory. And I I watch people. I like watching people when I talk. I see the shifting in the seats. I see the tenseness. And I won't call them out right then, but I will take people aside. You know, if they come up to me, sometimes they don't, or I'll just walk up to them when I see them walking in the hall on break and just start a conversation and just kind of see where their mind is at.
0: All right. Super quick. If you had a comic book superpower, what would it be and why comic book superpower?
1: Oh man. Um, comic book superpower. I love Superman. So I, I, I'd love to fly. I think most I...
0: people most people say they want to fly because uh, you know I was going to be a pilot before being a police officer that was like oh, wow. the direction I was yeah yeah, yeah. so uh, most people say they want to fly and that is one of those things that like I can understand it you know like they, they ask the question would you rather be invisible? fly or have super strength on like a psych exam and uh i think a lot of us would want to be able to fly because it's part of our nature mm-hmm. to want to be able, you know take off fast mm-hmm. and just be able to help more people that way you know and you can i kinda, really kind of chill
1: you can kind of chill you can be above yes the, it's like when my husband rides his motorcycle you know you just yes. kind of let your brain fly free so i think of it as a stress reliever too
0: Yes, I uh, want to thank you so much for hopping on. I'm sorry that I ran out of time today, but uh, we will we will do it again. We'll do an update maybe six months or twelve months down the line and see where you're at with your career. Um, I love that you're speaking to law enforcement and you're part of peer support. That's a uh, cause that's near and dear to my heart, and I want to just cheer you on and give you your roses right now while you're still alive. Thank you so much, Lindsay, and we will talk soon.
1: Thank you. Have a good one.
0: You. Bye. All right, all right family. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Everyone I interview, I've chosen for you guys because of their story, and I hope that you get some value every single time. If you did get value or just just simply enjoyed the episode, please share the episode with someone that you know. If you know of a guest, a frontline hero that has an amazing story, something uplifting or a positive message, Hit me up in the contact form of www.davidleith.com or DM me at Instagram at David Leith, the number one. Subscribe to the show because I have some really phenomenal guests coming up in the next few weeks that you definitely don't want to miss. All right, one.